The Bible reading today comes from Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was very, a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into the palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything that he had. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray this morning that as we open your word, you would open our hearts, that you would open our ears to hear it, and Lord, that you would open our minds. And we pray that as your word is read this morning, that your spirit would be at work in our lives and that, Father, we might leave changed then to how we uh, logged on to this live stream this morning, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but 2020 hasn't quite turned out like I expected it to. When I was growing up, I thought that in 2020 we were going to have flying cars. But in fact, it's the year where not only do we not have flying cars, we don't even have toilet paper. There was a gap between my expectation of what 2020 would be like and its reality. Maybe for you, the year of 2020 was the year where you had grand travel plans to see the world, but now it looks a little bit more like this picture at the bottom that's going to be coming up on the screen. You're in fact just sitting in front of your washing machine, thinking about all the travel plans that you could have done. Or maybe for lots of you, as your work has shifted to being at home, it's looked very different to how you expected it to. When I show Lauren the bottom picture, she said that she'd actually prefer to work from home this way, but maybe for you, your working at home arrangements haven't quite been how you expected them to be. For many in 2020, there has been a huge gap in what we expected and the reality of the year. And I'm aware that although we can laugh at those photos, this year for some of us, there's been very little to laugh about. The gap between what we expected and the reality of this year has been huge. And today we find in Abraham a very we find him in a very similar position with a gap between his expectations and the reality of his life. And by the way, Abraham later becomes Abraham, and so if you hear me calling him Abraham, that's why. Last week we saw that God made three massive promises to Abraham. He promised to make his name great. He promised to bless him, and he promised to make him into a great nation. And to begin with, I'm sure that that would have been an incredibly exciting moment in Abraham's life. But as Abraham began to think on those promises, I'm sure he became acutely aware of the gap between the promises that God had made to him and the reality of his life. 
You see, the land that God had promised Abraham was already occupied by the Canaanites. He and his wife were 75 and 65 years old, respectively. I'm sure they would have been asking how they were going to have one child, let alone an entire nation. And Abraham was just a 75-year-old Iraqi nomad. How would God make his name great? How would God bless him? And in today's passage, we see that as Abraham becomes acutely aware of the gap that exists between promise and reality, his faith begins to fade. Last week, we saw God called Abraham to leave his country and go to the land of Canaan, and Abraham responded with faithful obedience. But this week, we see that Abraham's faith starts to fade. As we look at Abraham, God's first disciple, we see that disciples make mistakes. Disciples fail. After walking over 1,000 kilometers to the land that God had shown him, he arrives, and whether it's immediately or shortly after, we don't know, but famine hits the land. And evidently, Abraham starts to wonder, if the God who brought him to the land of Canaan could sustain him in that land. And as Abraham's faith starts to fade, we see that he starts to take matters into his own hands. And we see this in two ways in today's passage. Now, as we look at these two ways, the first initially looks really bad, but perhaps isn't as bad as it seems at the first glance. And the second doesn't seem too bad at first, but is actually far worse than it seems. The first way that Abraham takes matters into his own hands is seen in his decision to move away from the land that God had given him and into Egypt instead. If you've been around church for a while, you might associate Egypt with bad. After all, just a little while after Abraham, God's chosen people find themselves in slavery to Egypt. So perhaps Abraham's decision to go to Egypt is sinful because Egypt is bad. But there's nothing up until this point that would indicate to us that Egypt is bad. In fact, roughly 2,000 years later, God instructs Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, to seek refuge in Egypt as Herod is committing infanticide. So the decision that Abraham makes to move down to Egypt isn't bad because it's Egypt, but it is potentially showing a lack of trust in God to provide for him in the land that he promised. The second way that Abraham takes matters into his own hand is by telling his wife to pretend to be his sister. Look with me at verse 11 of chapter 12. It says this, it says, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Now, there is some truth in what Abraham is saying. It's kind of weird, but we find out in chapter 20, verse 12, that Sarai is in fact his half-sister. So what Abraham is saying is a half-truth. But it's a half-truth with the intention to mislead. If we look again at verse 12 and 13, he tells this half-truth so that he won't be killed, but instead will be treated well. Rather than fearing God, Aram is fearful of the Egyptians 
and gives his own wife into the hands of another man for his own protection. Abraham didn't trust God to provide for him. And when he, left, when, he, when he was in the promised land, and when he left it, he didn't trust that God would protect him. And because of this, he put all of the promises that God had made to him at risk. He gave away his wife to Pharaoh, making it pretty hard for him to make a great nation. He left the land that God had promised him, and he risked his own life lying to Pharaoh and his officials. In both of these instances, Abraham was acutely aware of the gap between the promises that God made to him and the reality around him. And so he took matters into his own hands and in doing so put those very promises at risk. And as I began to reflect upon the way that Abraham took matters into his own hands because of the gap between promise and reality, I realized that I do too. We do the exact same thing. We lose sight of the promises that God has made to us, and we take matters into our own hands. God promised Abraham blessing, fame, and that he would become a great nation. But what does God promise us? God promises us in Matthew 6, chapter 31, that he will provide for us all that we need. In Matthew 6, Jesus says this. He says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God says that he will provide for our needs. But it's so easy to forget this promise, and like Abraham did, to take matters into our own hands. And rather than to be generous with what we have, to be tight-fisted with what we have, and protect ourselves as much as possible from any trials or difficulties that may come our way. Or maybe the promise that you struggle with is the promise that you're forgiven. In 1 John John 1 verse 9, It says this, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you struggle to hold on to that promise and instead try and work your way to God and win his approval by yourself. Now, this last one is particularly close to home for lots of people right now. But God promises us in Romans 8.28 that he works all things for the good of those who love him. But maybe right now, or when times seem incredibly tough, there seems to be a huge gap in your life between that promise and the reality. And so in that gap, it's easy for us to be tempted to doubt God, to doubt his goodness, and to doubt his promise. So often, especially in times like now, like Abraham, the gap between those promises and our reality seem great, and we're tempted to take matters into our own hands or to lose sight of those promises. We're a lot like Abraham. But look how God treats Abraham. You see, God would have been fully just if he punished or abandoned him for the way that he abandoned God. But he doesn't. In fact, something really peculiar happens. He doesn't punish 
Abraham. In fact, he punishes Pharaoh. Look at verse 17. It says, The Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh because of Abraham's wife. And the crazy thing is that not only does God punish Pharaoh, he actually gives blessings to Abraham. Verse 16 tells us that he acquires sheep and cattle and donkeys and servants and camels. God is faithful to his people even when we are faithless. And even though Abraham leaves the promised land and gives away his wife, God does not let those, his broken disciples get in the way of accomplishing his plans. But the natural question is, why does Pharaoh receive punishment instead of Abraham? At first glance, it seems really unfair. But there's three things that help us shed light on why Pharaoh is punished. Firstly, I think Pharaoh's suffering teaches us that sin has consequences that affect far more than just the person that commits the sin. We see this when tragically a drunk driver crashes their car into an innocent pedestrian, or when a thief steals, or someone commits murder. The sins of one person affect many. Secondly, it would be incredibly unjust for Pharaoh to feel the effects of this sin in his life if he himself was a morally upright or even morally neutral person. But Pharaoh isn't exactly without sin himself. Just in today's passage, we see that apparently he gets his officials to grab any single attractive woman that they find to be part of his harem. It's not exactly the most morally upright way to treat women. And lastly, we see that God uses situations that seem harmful to bring about a greater good. In Pharaoh's instance, he uses this disease to stop him from committing adultery with another man's wife. And not only that, God uses it in order to bring about his plan to provide an offspring through Abraham that will bless the world. When we get to the first book of the New Testament, a book called Matthew, Matthew makes every effort to show us that the offspring of Abraham is Jesus. The first chapter of Matthew traces through the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Abraham. You see, the ultimate blessing that comes through Abraham is Jesus. And Galatians 3.14 tells us that. Galatians 3 tells us this. It says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Just like God punished Pharaoh as a result of Abraham's faithlessness in order to bring about his promise, we see an incredibly similar story in the life of Jesus. You see, we are not faithful to God. And like Abraham, we take matters into our own hands. We show God through our actions, through our words, and through our thoughts that we would rather be in control. We turn our backs on Him. And even though we deserve punishment for those actions, God punished Jesus instead as He hung on the cross in our place for our sins. Except unlike Pharaoh, Jesus was without sin. Even though we aren't faithful to God, God was faithful to us in sending Jesus so that if we put our trust in Him, we might not receive the punishment that we deserve for our faithlessness, but like Abraham, might receive blessings found in Jesus instead.
Maybe some of us, like Abraham, are lacking in faith right now due to the situations around us. Maybe your faith is fading. And it feels like there is a growing gap between the promise that God has made and the reality of your life. Let me encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus. For in Him, we see that we have a God who is faithful, even though we are faithless. In Him, we see a God who is good, even when we aren't. And in Him, we see a God who always delivers on His promises, even when it seems like there's a massive gap between them and our reality. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the blessings that did come into fruition through Abraham's life and are found in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you so much for him that he died the death that we deserved so that we could have the freedom that we didn't deserve. Lord, help us in times of trouble. Lord, when the gap between your promises and our reality seem distant, help us in those times to put our faith in him to cling to Him and to hold on to the promises that He has for us. And we pray this in His name. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to have a time for Q&A with Grant. I have a question uh, for you about um, Pharaoh. It it was as a result of his sin uh, as well that he's a bit culpable there. Do you want to just expand on, on that in terms of Uh, You mentioned some modern-day examples of our sin affecting others. Do you want to just expand on that a bit more? Um, In terms of how our sin can affect others? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, to use my life as an example, I think that I'm so aware of the times that I do things and that actually has flow-on effects into the lives of those around me. Um, When I don't tell the full truth to people, obviously that affects not just myself but those that that happens to. Um, and similarly with, with plenty of other examples, with um, tragic examples like murder, we see that um, obviously people that are innocent in that example um, lose their lives at the tragedy of someone else's decision. Um, but I think I'm aware that also, like Pharaoh, we are all um, sinful people, that we are all people that cause that to happen to others. And so none of us are actually without sin in those instances. Uh, here's the next question that's come in. How is God looking after Sarah in this passage? She seems not treated very well at all. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, that's right. I think um, when we look at Sarah, she seems to be uh, just handed off by her husband to Pharaoh and um, it doesn't seem like she's being cared for at all. But I think, um, like Abraham, um, Sarai is also perhaps part of this puzzle, part of, the, part of the reason why this is happening. We don't know exactly what happens, but it might have been that um, Sarai was part of the plan, that she went along with it, or it could have been that she was just, um, she had no decision in the matter and she was just forced upon it. Um, but we see later in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 20, that Abraham and Sarah decide to do the same thing again and um, lie at the second time. And so Sarai is not completely innocent in herself but God is still really faithful and kind to them in both instances that they do that. And we actually see that he protects them both and is kind to them. So God, even though um, because of Abraham's and Sarai's decision, he actually still protects them and loves them in that. Uh, there are a few questions uh, coming in today. We won't have time to get through them all, but I'll ask this last one. I think it's a good one. 
How do I work to align my expectations with God's, especially when I feel like I'm wanting godly things that seem to align with his will, but my expectations still don't seem to match God's reality? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question, and I'm sure it's a question on everyone's lips, especially in times like right now. And I think the, the best ways that we can do that is firstly by just getting stuck into God's Word, into the Bible, and to see what promises God actually makes to us um, and see what they are. I gave us three examples in um, Matthew 6 and in Romans 8 um, and in 1 John. But there's plenty of other promises that God makes to us. Uh, it seems like in New Testament times, God doesn't make specific promises to people. Um, at least He doesn't promise to do that. But like Abraham and Sarah, they had these promises of blessings. God doesn't give us those promises, but when we look in the Bible, we see certain promises that he makes. And the other one thing that I would encourage us all to do is just to pray to God to um, ask him to help us understand what those promises are. And um, if we feel like God has made a really specific promise to us, or when we read God's word, it seems like that doesn't line up with our reality. Um, I guess in that gap, we just need to have faith and to trust in God that He is good, ultimately seen in His Son Jesus, in the price that He paid for us on the cross, and to trust in that.